pray that in the busyness of life, in all that is going on, that we would be quietened in our hearts, at the centre of who we are, quiet enough to hear your voice speaking to us. We ask that our hearts would be soft soil, ready for your word. We invite your spirit now to come, fill our hearts, prepare a space, make a room for the new thing that you want to do in us today, we pray. Amen. Amen. Are you ready for the greatest sermon ever? The best sermon you will ever hear in your life? Okay, goes like this. Seeing the crowds, he went up the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The greatest sermon ever. I don't need to say anything else, do I? Shall I just sat down, sit down and we just enjoy that, just soak that in? So Rob has been doing this great series on blessings. Blessings. Um, I don't know if you've been able to come to any of them, but they've been really good. And there's been lots of actual uh, life-changing practical advice in amongst it all. This isn't kind of ethereal, out there... Um, wisdom from Rod, but this is kind of stuff that, um, information, advice, wisdom, truth from the Bible that changes how we orientate and position our lives. Um, Lots of the blessings in the Bible often come along with some of the covenants and some of the promises in the Bible. So some some of the biggest promises of blessings that we have some of the things that we've looked at. So we looked at um, a couple of weeks ago about being blessed to be a blessing. And actually that comes in the context of, of covenant and Abraham and, and all that God was doing there. We might think of the covenant that God makes with Moses and the people of God. He leads them out of Egypt. I mean, that is blessings personified. God being with them, God's presence, God's freedom, God's liberation, all of that. And then he leads them gives them the law. And what does he say? He says, you will become my treasured possession. My treasured possession. Such blessing. And we kind of, when we read the Sermon on the Mount, we have to have that same picture in our head. That same picture. You think of Moses going up the mountain, coming down with the law and the tablets and bringing this incredible message from God, this kind of world-changing way of life. And all the blessings and the relationship with God that comes with it. And actually we see Jesus do the same here. We see Jesus climb up the mountain and turn and address the people. Oftentimes we can think of Christianity as being something a little bit retrospective. Something that that is dragging people back. I think the world sometimes has a caricature of Christianity as, as being a set of people who want, um, want England to go back to the 1950s. And actually, 
when we engage with the Bible in the richness of its context and the life it was, it was spoken into, we realize that the Bible does the exact opposite. The Bible is ahead of humanity, pulling us forward. It's, a, it's an incredibly futuristic, profound document. And that was the effect of the law to Moses. That was the effect of the law to the people of God. God said, this is how you relate to orphans and widows. This is how you relate to justice. This is how you relate to, to food and drink in everyday life. I will teach you the way to live that allows you to reflect my goodness and be in a relationship with me. And actually, Jesus here does the same. In the Sermon on the Mount, these kind of controversial teachings that still today we read and they kind of kick us in the stomach a bit. He says... Let me show you the real way to live. Now, like all good Jewish poems, the the real genius of this, the kind of understanding of the Beatitudes is in the middle. Oftentimes, nowadays, in modern language, we might kind of have the big impact at the start and then we explain it. In fact, I do some teaching here with Formation and I tell the students, don't tell me anything new at the end of your essay. Always get it right in at the start and then spend the rest of the time explaining it. Or maybe you're more used to kind of less Quentin Tarantino style films and we have that idea of a narrative that kind of goes on and goes on and goes on and then there's the dramatic conclusion. But actually for Jesus and for Jewish poets and speakers and for for Paul and throughout lots of the Bible actually, they use this structure where kind of the middle point is the peak and everything else kind of builds up to that and then ebbs away from that, that kind of centre. So what is the centre of this? Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. It's that condition of the heart, something that Jesus brings up again and again and again through the Sermon on the Mount. Actually, not just committing violence is enough. You have to not have violence and anger in your heart. Actually praying in an ostentatious way, actually fasting and and tithing and all these outward acts of religion that we can do are nothing if they're not backed up by a heart that really seeks after God. Seeing God, bless their pure in heart for they shall see God. Seeing God must be the ultimate blessing. And there's loads of theology we could kind of chew over with that of how possible it is to see God. But there's this profound sense that in Jesus, Paul says we have the image of the invisible God. We kind of see him and we we capture something of his goodness, of his provision, of the fact that he's our portion of, of who God is, of what he's doing in him. But there's also a sense of he is a taste of what's to come as well. He's a taste of the future. Seeing God, that ultimate blessing, and everything else in this uh, profound passage kind of builds up to that. At the start, we, we hear about the poor, those who mourn, the meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. There's this sense of the need that people have. And at the end, we kind of have some of the practical stuff, the peacemakers, those who are persecuted, those who were reviled and rejected and prosecuted. But in this center point here, we have this sense of the heart If we're to think of mercy, blessed are the merciful, what is mercy but tender-heartedness, but an openness to the suffering of others, but a sensitivity to what's going on around us? It's interesting, isn't it, that image of the heart? We, We use that a lot. We use it so much that 
when I say heart to you, probably your picture is a little curved shape like that rather than anything anatomical. You might think of a, a Valentine's Day card or a, or a helium balloon that's in that shape. The heart is, is very key in scripture as well. In Jeremiah 17.9, it says this, it says, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? What a challenging verse that is. This weekend, I was away with some friends. And um, we, went to, we went out to a pub to kind of hear some music on the Saturday evening. And I met this guy called Jason. Jason's a scaffolder. But obviously the fact that I asked Jason what he did meant he asked me what I do. And that's quite, kind of hard to explain, really. I kind of go around talking about this ancient way of life that Jesus taught us. It's kind of how I try and say it, because pastor sounds a bit scarier than that sometimes to him. Uh, Jason was so open to God. He was so open to hearing. He was, he was fascinated by it. Actually, his parents had been really involved in Christianity when he'd been growing up. But he'd had a really bad experience, particularly through his parents, of the church. So he was like, oh, you know, there's something about this. I've got this hole in my life, he said. I've got this hole in my life. I've had so many broken relationships where I've just, I've just depended on them too much. I've wanted them to kind of fill that brokenness in me. He said, I've just taken so many drugs. I've done so much acid. That's what he kind of opened up and shared with me trying to kind of fill that, that brokenness and that crackness within me. His words, that how he was describing it. There was a kind of yearning and a thirst within him. But at the same time, whenever I mentioned the name Jesus, he got angry, he got cross, he shut down. Whenever I tried to pray for him, he used to, he, um, he actually kind of got a bit physically aggressive with me. It was that sense of his, his spirit crying out for God, that kind of desperation for God in him. Yet his broken heart was deceitful above all things. What about this verse in Ecclesiastes 3.11? It says this, he says, He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. A couple of days ago, my wife was taking some food round on, on the local estate where we live, and we, we try and just see what God's doing amongst some of the people who live there. And um, We'd prayed in the morning for open doors, and she walked to, to meet this particular woman, walked in through this block of flats, and um, her door was open. But when my wife walked in, she wasn't there. There was some other random woman there with a tin of cat food, like you do. Um, and this woman was with someone that we know who just said, this woman really needs to know about Jesus. And you're like, okay, that's a fairly easy situation. That's a fairly obvious answer to prayer, isn't it? We pray for open doors. Here's a literal physical open door. We didn't think you'd be that literal, God, but okay, we'll go for it, we'll take it. She talked with this woman. This woman is just alone, she says she has no one in her life. All she does, every day, she wakes up, she goes to the shop, she buys five cans of beer. She says Stella, but I'm sure there's other brands available. She takes them back to her flat and she just sits and drinks them throughout the day. She's just broken and desperate. She said she just feels so lonely, it's painful. Rachel got the chance to share with her and pray with her, but 
um, told her to come back the next day to church. And I, I met this lady, Angela. And I tell you what, there was that sense of eternity in her heart. There was a sense of how she knew that life was supposed to be. And I got to share with her, I got to say, do you know what, Angela? There's two things that the Bible really teaches about you and your heart. First thing is that you are good because you're made in the image of God. That even though your heart is broken and you've done these different things, that you are made in the image of God and you're precious. And I said the second thing is actually that loneliness you feel, that loneliness is there because God has put eternity in your heart. And part of that, part of that eternity is his image. And you were made for relationship. You were made for relationship with him. You're made to be with him. You're not meant to be lonely. And he wants to be in relationship with you. And she just folded. She just broke down in the middle of the cafe where we were. There was something of, of God that was hidden deep within her heart, even though she'd had no interaction with Christianity in her life. Even though the only Bible she'd ever even glanced at was one given to her by some Jehovah's Witnesses a few years ago. Actually, there was a sense of eternity in her heart. There was the things of God. There was the things of, of love and life and relationship in there that, that needed to be met. Well, what about this verse in Proverbs? Proverbs 4.23 says, Guard your heart above all things, for it is the wellspring of life. This sense of the heart, not just being this place of emotions, like we might think in a modern sense, but the heart being the real essence of who we are, being our, our will, our desires, our passions, all that is within us. It's that kind of the wellspring of life. And here, Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart. What does it mean to be pure in heart? Why does God want to bless that? I think when we think about blessing, I think actually being pure in heart is, is almost a little bit just like being open-handed. It's, a, it's about just being open to the things of God. And I think through these Beatitudes, Jesus teaches us some things that make us close our hands, that make us bunch up our hands into fists instead of being open. At my Bible college, they used to have a fountain, and it used to really, really annoy the principal when people put washing up liquid or washing powder in this fountain. So I used to do it regularly, because that's the sort of person I am. I'm confessing to you now, I'm seeking your forgiveness, and uh, I'm sure you'll give it, because you look like a good, forgiving, gracious group of people. But there's something about a fountain, isn't there? It kind of bubbles and spoils over that, the tiniest little thing that gets dropped in it, and suddenly... It just used to explode into bubbles. And I think that's what that purity of heart looks like. That actually, some of the things that we can put in there, they might seem like little things that we can just pass away, but they just foam up and explode and bubble all over the place. But actually, that, that image goes the other way as well. That I think when we have pure hearts, when we're open to the things of God, I think... He can speak to us in those still, small whispers. He can just place little things in there. And our hearts just come to life and just are filled with bubbles and colour and life. So what does Jesus say to be pure-hearted is? I think we can find that through this passage. 
He says, blessed are those who are poor and mourning. People who aren't seeking the the treasures of this world, of wealth and happiness, but people who are seeking after God. I think of the parable of the sower, where Jesus says that some seed is sown in people's hearts, and actually the worries of this world and the deceitfulness of wealth come and choke the seed of the gospel. Actually, money is a deceitful thing. No matter how much you have, you always need more. Jim Carrey once said that, I wish everyone would get incredibly famous, get incredibly rich, and fulfill all their dreams just so they would know how empty it feels. Jesus says, we're blessed when we're not in that place. He says, blessed are the meek, blessed are the peacemakers. They're so countercultural, even now. We haven't had a president elected of America for his meekness and his peacefulness, arguably for a very long time, but particularly not in the last couple of weeks. The world trades in dominance and strength and and vision and, and power. And Jesus says, we're not supposed to be striving, angry, competitive. Actually, meekness and and peace, they're about putting other people first, about protecting other people. Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are you when you're persecuted. I think a pure heart is a heart that hungers after justice, after rightness, after integrity. That actually doesn't allow there to be wrongdoing, starting with ourselves. I think of that beautiful verse in Micah 6, 8. What does God require of you but to love justice, do mercy, walk humbly with your God? I think there's something in that. I think that's what purity of heart looks like. So where are you at today? I've thrown out a lot of information We've chewed through a really dense, rich passage of scripture that's really challenging and controversial. But what state is your heart in today? If we were to run an MOT of your heart, if we were to to wire it up to some machines, where are you at? Where are you at? I remember remember a time where I'd really significantly fallen out with someone who I worked with. And just started off, the, off such a kind of silly misunderstanding, but it felt like no matter how much I apologised or whatever I tried to do right, it just made this situation worse. And I'm sure I'm a loud, kind of outspoken northerner. I'm sure I didn't help myself, and there's a lot of things that I did wrong in that situation. But I really struggled with, with holding that in my heart, with that kind of enmity and lack of, lack of peace there. I think of another time where um, I was involved in uh, doing some work with some homeless people, providing a meal on a Sunday afternoon. And there was this guy there who had just caught my heart, this guy called Ziggy. He'd been homeless since he was about 18, and he was now close to 40. And he was, he was a miscreant, to be honest. He was in and out of prison all the time. He did lots of silly stuff, but he was always... Full of, full of life and laughter and um, was, was a fun person to be around. Even if he really struggled with, with life, he found life weighed on him. And um, 
One day I heard that Ziggy had actually had an overdose and passed away. And I just, the only way I can describe it is it's like, it's like I'd bubble wrapped my heart. It's like I'd just put something around it. I kept doing all the same things. I don't know if you've ever been like this in, in church or if this is just me, but I turned up and I still buttered the bread and I still put out the chairs and I did all the stuff, but I buried myself in all the little details, all the little things that I could do just so that I wouldn't have to stand and look at someone face to face. A lot of Jesus' teachings, he is in argument with the Pharisees. And some people think the word Pharisee comes from a, an Aramaic word, paras, which means fence. They just fence themselves off. They fence themselves from breaking the law, but actually they fence themselves off from other people and became self-righteous. I don't know if, if you're in a place today where you feel like your heart's got hard, where you feel like your heart's been fenced off, where you feel like actually life is filled with kind of stress and angst and you can't see God. I want to say to you, God wants to change that. That actually purity of heart doesn't pretend, uh, doesn't rest on your striving and your struggles. It rests on you opening yourself up to God and allowing him to bring purity to bring newness of life to tear away those fences to pop the bubbles on that bubble wrap and I'm just going to give you a really simple opportunity to do it Um, I'm going to sing a song some of you might know it's a um, been around for a few years now but not everyone's sung it it's just a really really simple song and if you'd like to open up your heart to God and respond this song is just a way of doing that Um, the chorus just goes here's my heart Lord speak what's true